All right. If you have your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 16. We'll read the first six verses here and look at our study here. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We uh, thank you for the story of Genesis and this book of beginnings. And uh, there's so many new things and that happen as we go through this book. Today, we, are, we encounter a, a, a new thing, and uh, we, we see a lesson here, Lord, about following you and honoring you and your, uh, your plan, your timing. Lord, this is easier said than done. And so, Father, we pray that you would encourage us uh, through this text. We pray that you would um, just teach us, Lord, and we, we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, as Abram, as his wife. She went into Hagar, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power to do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. And Father, we do again thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. All right, as we come to this, this portion of Genesis, we, it's good for us to sort of step back and to do a review. Um, going back to Genesis chapter 12, this is the first sort of um, mention. Abraham sort of comes on scene. He's introduced really in the book of Genesis. God makes his covenant with him uh, that, that through him, uh, people will be established, that there'll be a, a great nation, many descendants, more than he can count, um, and He's going to do these things to him. And so it's sort of initialized there. Abraham is Abram. Abram. He turns into Abraham. So it's like my brain is trying not to say Abraham. Um, but so Abram is about 75 years old at this point. At the end of chapter 12, a famine comes into the land. Abram panics. Uh, it, it doesn't seem that he seeks God or his consent or his, his counsel or leading he sees that there's food down in Egypt, so he takes his family, everything he has, and he goes down to Egypt. On the way down to Egypt, what does he do? He recognizes he has a pretty wife. He says, that, hey, if, if they see you, they're going to take you, and if they take you, they're going to do harm to me, so let's just go ahead and say that you're my sister, and then it'll be good for everybody. Well, at least for Abram, it will be good. Um, chapter 13, by chapter 13, we realize that this didn't work out that well. Abraham returns home. Back to where he started, he goes to the place where he initially, or the last place in which he encountered God, he had made an altar there, and so he returns to that location, and he sort of resets. In the process, he'd acquired a lot of stuff, wealth, 
and just things. And so there he is, a wealthy, a wealthy man in chapter 13. Things begin to sort of multiply, and the land couldn't sustain both himself and his goods and his nephew Lot's uh, goods. And so they decide to part ways. Lot goes to the land that looks really good, and then Abraham stays in the land that God had promised to him. As we enter into chapter 14, basically Lot gets into some trouble. His uncle rescues him. A war breaks out. There's like a number of kings. All of this stuff happens. Uh, Abram proves successful. And then we enter into chapter 15, which we covered over the course of the last couple of weeks. In Genesis chapter 15, God appears again. He comforts Abraham. He reassures Abraham that the covenant that he made with him is still in place. Abram says, how can this possibly be? Like, I need a, a son in order for this promise that you've given to come about. And so God says, go get the notary. We'll, we'll make a contract. It gets the animals. They slice it up. They go through the Abrahamic covenant. And that's sort of where we, we find ourselves. Um, between the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16, some time goes by. And it's easy to sort of skip over this stuff. But we know timestamp-wise in Genesis chapter 15, or Genesis chapter 12, excuse me, uh, we know that Abram is 75 years old. When we get to the end of chapter 16, we know that he's 86 years old. And in today's story, it talks about that 10 years has elapsed. And so there's a feeling that God had made this, this promise to Abram. He'd made this covenant. He'd, he'd reassured him that he was going to do everything. And in our minds, when we get this sort of sense from God, it's like, okay, let's get the party started. Like, let's go ahead and make things happen tomorrow. Like, I'll, I'll give it a night. But a month goes by. A year goes by. Another year goes by. Another year goes by. Another year goes by. I forget what number I'm on. But like, so 10 years go by. There's no child. There's desperation that's growing. And so by the end of today's chapter, we know that Abram, when Ishmael is conceived, he's 86 years old. This is 11 years after that initial promise that God gave to him in chapter 12. When we skip to next week's chapter, when we get there, Abram's now 99 years old, if my memory is correct. So another 13 years goes by. So time is going by. And so we, we start today's story in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him a child. This is significant. This is what the promise, everything is contingent upon this child coming through Abram. God had promised him that through his loins, a child would be born. But now, 11 years later, 10 years later, there's still no child. But she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So we're sort of setting the stage. Where did Hagar come from? When Remembered the last time when there was a sort of a desperate situation, there was a famine, there was no food. They decide to go to Egypt to resolve their problems. While they were there, they acquire a slave, a, a, a maidservant, and this girl's name is Hagar. And as we enter into the story today, we'll see in their desperation again, instead of being patient and trusting God, they're going to go to Egypt to solve their problems. And so Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave woman, and gave to her 
gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And so there's just a couple of things. When I look at this paragraph, just going through this chapter, I'm kind of reading and going, well, this stands out to me, this stands out to me, this stands out to me. I've had a number of these things that stand out to me. So the first thing that I see that stands out to me in this passage is their patience had run out in waiting for God. I like so identify with this personality type. Um, I don't have a lot of patience. Uh, a few weeks ago, I shared about Anna and I, how we ended up here, and we were kind of like trying to pray and wait for God, and the whole praying and waiting for God just wasn't working for me because I needed to know what I needed to do. And so I remember telling Anna, I'm like, hey, we're going to go the other direction. We're just going to charge down a road, and we're going to let God close doors instead of waiting for God to open doors. And that didn't, well, it didn't really so much work out, but it did work out in that God let us here. Um, but I just sense this, like, I identify with this sense of, like, let's just race ahead. Let's, let's take matters into our own hands. And I think one lesson that we see here is that sometimes we try to sort of take matters into our own hands. We try to fulfill God's plan through man's ways, not through God's ways. And when we do this, it leads to problems. And so all sorts of problems are going to surface that are still ongoing today uh, through what Abram and Sarah concocted and their plan to sort of go through. Now, initial glance, I don't know about you, but this just seems like a crazy story. Like, uh, <laughs> I heard some laughter, so some of you are going to like be okay. I just don't see my wife not being able to have kids and say, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> Like, this seems crazy to us. Like, all the guys are afraid to look at me in the eye. It's like, this is absolutely crazy. In our culture, this is crazy. In their culture, this was totally normal. Like, this was normal. Our culture has plenty of its own, its own crazy ideas, but because they're our culture, we don't see them. So there are plenty of things that in our culture, we think that seems totally legit and okay to go about. Um, but when we look into other people's cultures... It's so much easy, easier to see, like, hey, that just doesn't seem right. That's a bad idea. And so they go along with the culture of their day. And when I look at this story, the things that I see culturally, um, like, obviously, they're talking about sexual relations. Like, God says that sex was designed for the context of marriage, one man, one woman. Um, then you have, like, young teenagers who are, like, so, like, raging in hormones that it's like, I just can't wait to do it God's way, so I'm going to do things my own way. And it leads to like a series of problems that could last the rest of their lives. I see it with money. God gives certain standards about money and how we're to handle money and be responsible with money. But it's like, well, we just want to race ahead and do it this way. And so then we take on debt and burdens of things that are not necessarily God's way. And then it leads to all sorts of repercussions. And so we have our own ways that we race ahead of God, but, it, but there, there are culture's ways, so they seem totally normal to us. This was, like, for them, if you were a barren woman and you had a maid, it was totally acceptable for the maid then to, like, have sexual relationships with, you, with your husband so that she could bear a child that then would become your child. So this is totally normal in their context, but it wasn't God's way. And so they're trying to help God fulfill his plan according to their own methodology and not trusting God because the math just simply didn't add up for them. I also see that like old habits die hard. 
Like once we become Christians and we start living for God, like those old habits tend to like not die very quickly. When we get stressed, when we get into a rut, all of a sudden we revert to our old way of doing business. And so previously when they got into a a pickle and they were concerned about food, they quickly like escaped down to Egypt and they took matters into their own hands and that didn't work out for them. Now they have another pickle. Sarah's like, hey, I got an idea. We picked up this girl in Egypt. Let's just use her and have a child. We'll help God along because clearly like I can't have a child. And I sort of wonder in this story if Sarah's trying to get the spotlight off of her and trying to expose that like maybe if he has sexual relations with this maid and they don't have children, it'll show that the problem lies with Abram. And it won't be me. It won't be that God has his hand against me. It's really against Abram. I could have had a child, but because he's incapable of having children, and I think it's going to blow up in her face. And we see her reaction when it doesn't work out as she planned. So verse 4, then he had relations with Hagar. She conceived, uh uh-oh, right away. If that was Sarai's plan, we got a problem. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. So Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be upon you. I put my slave woman into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord, Lord judge between you and me. Um, so that here we go. The, this pregnancy cons- confirmed that it was indeed uh, Sarai that had the fertility issue. It wasn't on Abram's side. And I can only imagine like, I mean, I can't even imagine how that would make her feel, but I, I imagine that this would put a strain on the relationship. Like this would, this would be very uncomfortable for her. Um, and, and then the real question is, like, did anybody actually think this would be a good idea? Did anybody in this room think this was, like, a brilliant idea? Like, I, no, don't raise your hand. Um, like, this was, a t- this was, like, a terrible idea. And now Abram, because he didn't, like, say, no, you know what? God made a promise, and I don't think this is exactly what God intended. We should trust God because he didn't, like, take a stand for God and say, no, I'm going to... Like, I want to do things according to God's plan, and God promised this, and we're going to have to trust God and wait on God, and I don't see how this is going to work out, but this isn't what God told me to do. If he'd, like, taken a stand, but he didn't, sort of like his passive leadership in this just to kind of go along with this bad idea, he could have made, sort of put his foot down and said, this is, I'm absolutely not going to do this. I'm married to you. I have a vow with you. When God said he was going to give me a child, it was very much intended that it was through you. And I'm with you. I don't understand. We just, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but God said it, so this is how we're going to have to roll. That's what we saw with Mary, right, with Jesus? This is like, I want to see Michelle, like the big joke. She was seven years old. She's like, I hate it when people say she was like six years old. And so now every time I think of Mary and like when God approaches her, like, oh, she was four years old when that happened. No, that's a joke. But like, here's Mary same sort of impossible situation. And she's like, I I don't, how can this possibly be? But I guess with God, anything is possible. And so they had the same opportunity to respond with like, I don't understand how this is going to work. But with God, anything is possible. But that's not what they do. And now Abram, who passively goes along with this plan, is suddenly the bad guy with his wife. I'd be like, wait, I'm the bad guy? This was your idea. I did what you said. And now you're mad at me? It totally reminds me of, um, so when I, in the Middle East, when you're around guys that have a bunch of wives, 
when you're on their turf, you can't really make fun of them. Or I typically made, it was more behind their back than in front of their back. Um, but when they're on our turf, then I, we can totally harass them. And so I see the story. I'll never forget one day as a SEAL instructor, we had these Egyptians that rolled through. And there was like clearly the rich Egyptians that like lived out in town, had their big sky rise stuff. And they were like, I don't think I even understood the amount of wealth that they had. And these guys had all kinds of wives. And then there was another Egyptian who, uh, he was a Coptic Christian, and he was there uh, for punishment. Like, like, he was supposed to fail out so that when he went back, the Egyptian government uh, could really do harm to his family. When we found that out, we made sure he made it through. But there was a day in the swimming pool, I just remember seeing all these Egyptian guys on the edge, and I had a buddy that could, like, super harass in a funny way and not get in trouble, and I just sat back and laughed. And he's like, come on, man, like, tell me. How many wives do you guys have? And one guy's like, well, I have six. The other guy's like, I have, I have 13. The other guy's like, I have four. And we're like, this is crazy. And then my buddy's like, well, like down in their face, now tell me, which one's your favorite one? <laughs> and the guy was like super like, would, like serious, and he didn't like make any movement. He would not even begin to like identify. We're all like, well, tell us the names of your wives. So they rattle off the names of their wives. Is it Susan? Is it Shiri, is it this? And it's like, I love them all the same. And it was so much fun harassing these guys. This is just like, back to did anybody think this was a good idea? Here's Abram, like, sure, okay, I'll go get her pregnant, and then we'll do this. Now she's pregnant. Now he's in the hot seat. And like, what's he going to do? Like, verse 6, but Abram said to Sarah, look, like, your slave woman is in your power. Do what, do what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. So again, I see Abram. He's had two opportunities now to sort of uh, do the hard thing, which is the right thing. The first time when Sarah came up with a plan, he could have said, this is like, I get your frustration. I, I'm concerned too. I'd like to have a child. God said this. I don't know how this is going to work, but we have to trust God. Like, he could have done the hard thing and stood up to her and said, like, at the end of the day, he's the one who controlled whether he slept with a Hagar or not. Like, Sarai can't make that happen. So he could have made a stand then. Now, when her plan is sort of initiated, she's coming up with this plan to, like, really go after her. And instead of saying, hey, Sarah, you can't do this to this girl. You created this. Like, we have to do the right thing now. But now he says, hey, my hands are clean of this. You do whatever you want. And he's, again, very passive in his, his role. It, she's your slave. You do what you think is right. I'm not getting involved. I have did my part. I'm out of this. It, super bad passive leadership. And so now Sarai becomes mean to this young lady, and she splits. And so right now in this story, like we have the, the quote-unquote the two godly people who aren't seeming very godly, right? Like they seem really bad in this story. And it's interesting to me, I don't have any like fuller thought right now, but in this story, God doesn't really appear to them. The story moves, like from here to the end of the chapter, the story is going to follow Hagar and her situation, and God is going to show up, and we're going to see some stuff about how God deals with them. So right now, as far as Genesis is concerned, 
with Abram and Sarai, we just have like a bad example of what not to do. So don't do that. Trust God. Allow his plan to develop in your life. Don't rush ahead of him. Don't try to take matters into your hands. Just allow his way to work in your life. But we come to verse 7. Sarah, Sarai runs Hagar off. And verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's slave woman, from where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Um, I'm not sure where to like enter into the story. Um, so when we see the angel of the Lord, this is the first time this angel appears in the Bible. Uh, this is a very significant angel. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. It's a very significant angel to me. But it's also a very significant angel in the Old Testament. Um, the discussion about who is this angel is where there's a variety of, of, of opinions. So my opinion, and I would say like the consensus of like conservative scholars like across the board, is that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. So this is Jesus making an appearance. Uh, in the Old Testament. Now, the reason, um, and I hear a maybe, so I hear a maybe. <laughs> so there's speculation on other, like, uh, uh, other angels. So the problem of why we, like, other angels, if it's not Jesus, the reason, like, I think it, it's constrained to Jesus is because whenever this angel appears, this angel is doing stuff that only God can do. This angel is referred to as deity, does things that are along the lines of, of God. And so we're very constrained in being able to like open up the door for who this angel is. Um, so if the Trinity is a thing, that, there's the, that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we're kind of constrained. It has to be one of these options. Uh, or if it's outside of those options and we don't have the Trinity, we have a quadrinity. I don't know. Like what? Like, is that what? I don't even know. Would it be quadrinity? Um, Ponder that one for a second while I drink water. So if it's not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it, 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 ha- we, it has to be, it, this, this angel has to be divine because of the things it does and how individuals respond to it. And so most people sort of conclude that this has to be the pre-incarnate Christ because we know that Jesus is eternal. Uh, God refers to himself in the plurality right in the beginning pages of Genesis, like Genesis 1 or 2, let us make man in our image. And the spirit seems to not be in sort of tangible form throughout the New Testament. The Father sort of is not in this world. And then we see Jesus being the manifestation in the flesh of God. At, when he shows up on this earth in the flesh, it's, it's Jesus, the Son. And, and so when the angel of the Lord appears, it's normally in sort of personal form. It looks like, like the person that it encounters the angel of the Lord, they identify them as like a person. They see a person. 
And you guys can study. I've spent enough time on this. Um, but this angel's special. And as we get through the story, uh, Hagar is going to refer to this angel as being God, as Yahweh. Um, and so we have to grapple this. There's something distinct and peculiar about this angel that's other, like different from the other angels, which are simply messengers. Angel means messenger. So this angel is more than a messenger. And so here we have Hagar. I'm imagining this girl, young, pregnant, fearful, not in her home country, running away for, from safety, find some spot out in the wilderness. Um, like if this was in Valley Center, so she's either up at Doan Pond or Dixon Lake. I don't know. You make your pick. She's there by the lake, this pool of water. She's weeping. Like, oh, I don't know if it says she's weeping, but I'm just imagining like a sad individual, like somebody who's really scared, fearful, like what am I going to do? And so the angel of the Lord appears and sort of, you know, I love the questions that we get in the Bible. The angel, he, he identifies her as Sarai's slave. So he knows who she is. There's no question about, it's not like the angel is just out for a walk and like taking a hike at Stanley Peak and all of a sudden like see some young girl cry. Like he knows exactly who this individual is. He meets her. He identifies her. Hey, you're Sarai's slave. What's going on here? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? What's your plan? So he's asking all these questions that he doesn't actually need the answers to. He has these answers, but the conversation is flowing so that Hagar could sort of process and dialogue and understand and ultimately be brought close to God through this encounter. And I think God does that with us. He'll ask us questions. He'll challenge us. It's not like he needs us to, to res- respond to it. Like, he knows the answer. And I think that the dialogue is for us to sort of come to the conclusion. And so she says, like, I'm fleeing from the, the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Like, this, like, my slave owner She's harsh, she's brutal, and I've got to get out of there because she's kicking me out. Like, there's half that she's fleeing, but she's not fleeing of her own accord. She's fleeing because Sarai is making her leave, is kicking her out. And so the angel of the Lord, verse 9, said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Again, I've said this multiple times, so often that doing the right thing is doing the hard thing. Doing the right thing almost never is the easy answer. It's always the more difficult path. This story, this reminds me of Onesimus, the little story in in the New Testament, Paul and Colossians. A slave came, like ran away from his slave owner. He becomes a Christian. He meets Paul, and Paul says, what I need you to do is I need you to go back. I need you to go back to your slave owner, and I need you to make things right. He's a brother in the Lord. I'll write a letter on your behalf, and it's a little book of Philemon that we have in the New Testament. And so the angel, the first thing he says is, what you need to do is you need to go back. Verse 10, then the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. So first off, an angel who's a messenger doesn't have the authority to do this sort of thing, right? Only God is the one who can say, I will do this for you. And so this, the angel of the Lord sort of gives this promise to Hagar that says, through you, I'm going to multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. That sounds very similar, doesn't it? Very similar to the promise that was given to Abraham. And now he's giving this promise to her. 
concerning her descendants. The angel of the Lord continues in verse 11, and he said to her further, behold, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. But he will be a wild donkey of a man, or if you have the King James Version, it says something different. His, hands, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in defiance of all his brothers. So the first part is like, this is just beautiful. Like, like this, this part like gets me like emotional. Like here is this nobody of a person who's been abused her whole life. She's taken into captivity. She's in this terrible situation. A woman in the household decides, hey, go get this girl pregnant so that I can have a child. So she has to go sleep with the lady's husband to get pregnant so that the lady can take the child from her to have as her own. This doesn't seem like a good situation. She gets pregnant, exactly what Sarai wants to do. Then Sarai gets all nasty with her and then kicks her out into the desert in an unknown country to her. And here she is on the side of the road in total distress, and God shows up. And God shows up to her, and he says, I've heard your affliction. I see you. I hear you. I care about you. And a plan is in motion. You're going to have all sorts of descendants. Things are going to be okay. He then goes on and talks about the kid. He says he's going to be a little bit of a wild guy. And I want to be very, very careful. I have a note to not get caught up in the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. But Ishmael is the father of the Arab people. So when we look at the news today and we see the conflict in the Middle East, that everybody surrounding Israel hates Israel, like all of the Middle Eastern countries, they're all Arabs. And then you have the Jews. They all trace back to Abraham in this situation. This is why at the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, why the, the Israelis defend the land, but also the Arabs have a claim in the land. So as the story develops, the, the Arabs say, you know what, Mohammed came through Ishmael, and when, when Abram sacrificed Isaac, what the Bible says, their, their understanding, their rewriting of history, in my opinion, says that Ishmael was the one that was almost sacrificed. So all of this conflict comes to the story of Abram saying, or really listening to Sarai to come up with this plan where all of these problems continue to happen, that continue to happen to this day because they just didn't trust God. And now this people through Hagar have flourished. There's, and, I, and I love Arab people, so don't take this as like, like I have lots of time in the Middle East. I have a lot of warm experiences with, with like Arabs, I have some unpleasant experiences, but, but in large part, like they're a, a, a warm people. Um, but we see the birth of these two nations. And I'm glad I put into my notes, don't get too wrapped up in this. So I'm going to have to move on. What I, need, what I told myself to focus on was to focus on God. What does God do here? God shows up to this person who's an outcast and says, I heard you, I see you, I love you, and it's going to be Okay. And God is still in this business. Like so many people are longing for God and want to seek God and to find God, but they're not accepted by God's people. They, they roll into church and it's like, hey, there's a harshness or they, don't, they just don't feel accepted. This is where I was before I knew Christ. 
Like, I, I remember when my friend was nagging me to go to church, and then I said, okay, I'll promise, I'll go if you promise never to ask me again. And I, like, quickly, like, when he said, okay, I realized that I conceded too quickly. And I tacked on some, uh, some, some addendums. I forgot to mention, I'm going in flip-flop shorts and a t-shirt. And the guy's like, it's okay. Like, the, the, the pastor's an ex-pro surfer. He'll be barefoot. And it's like, oh, okay, like... And when I went to church there on this Tuesday night, it was like the first time I felt like people looked past like what I was wearing or what I looked like on the outside and they cared about Gunner as a person. And we see this, this is, this is in the Old Testament. We're in Genesis and we see that God is a God of all the nations, all peoples, everyone. And if we want to be like God, that means that we need to reach out and to be loving and to see beyond the externals of the person and to care about the person for whom Christ died. And this is what we see in this story. Verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord Yahweh who spoke to her. Who's she speaking to? She's speaking to the angel of the Lord, and she identifies him as Yahweh, God. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are God who sees me. For she said, Have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Therefore, the well was called, uh, Can I get a volunteer, please? Um, Beer Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. This is God who sees and hears. And I think that there's a lesson you might be in a pickle. You might think there's no way God hears me or sees the, the whatever plight I'm in. Know that God hears you and he sees you. And we know from the whole of Scripture that he loves you and he cares about you. And then in verse 15, so Hagar bore a son to Abram, sort of like the recap. And Abram named his son to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. We get an overview of the situation. We get a time stamp for how much time has unfolded. I believe when we get into chapter 17, uh, let me just go there because now my curiosity is not, just want to make sure that I, so verse 1 of chapter 17, now when Abram was 99 years old. So the very next verse, so like next week we're fast forwarding in history again the problem that Sarai felt initially is still there, but God is forcing her to wait and to learn patience and to learn trust and to see his, unplanned, his plan unfold. So when Abram was 99 years old, this is 24 years after chapter 12 when God initially gives the promise. This is uh, 86, so 13 years after today's story, God is still there. His promise is still secure. But he says, oh, Sarai and Abram, you need to learn some more lessons. So I'm going to let you wait another 13 years. You think your situation's desperate now? Just wait until you're 99 years old, barren, waiting on a promise that I'm going to give you a kid. This is going to be something spectacular. <laughs> um, so I can't help but to think that a major lesson in today's chapter is to trust God enough to do things his way. Um, it's easier said than done. 
The Bible Knowledge Commentary said this on this section. I thought it was really good. When the way of faith, which involves patient waiting, was abandoned and the way of human calculation was taken, Abram was caught up in a chain of causes and effects that would cause him trouble for years to come. Ishmael became the ancestor of the Arabs who are still hostile to the Jews, which I thought that was good. Like, there are certainly decisions that we make that have like ripple effects in our life that can last for years and years and years. Um, I know this has like always been one of the prayer for my kids, you know, like, Lord, help them to come to know you, help them to live with you for, from an early age so that they like learn the lesson the easy way, not the hard way. The follow-up prayers, Lord, help my sins not to fall on the heads of my children. Like, I did a lot of stupid stuff, and I have things that are like, that, that rippled after me for, for years to come. And so we see Abram and Sarai making this decision. We see the problems that are going to occur from it. But I also see in this, like, this isn't like to, you know, maybe you're like me, and you've done things not God's way, and that there are consequences from things that we've done that are not according to God's plan. That doesn't mean that God is unable then to be gracious and to restore what you've messed up. God is in the, like the auto repair business of our lives. Like he fixes our problems. He restores us. He's gracious. He renews us. It's wonderful. The story doesn't follow Sarai and and Hagar, Sarai and Abram in this chapter. Um, but we, we follow this, this Egyptian slave. That's where God appears in the story to the, to the one who's like the least of these. And I think this is so beautiful to those of us who don't feel worthy, who feel like we're damaged goods, that we're bruised fruit, and, and nobody loves us or cares for us, and there's no way that God could possibly forgive us for the things that we've done. And in this story, God shows up. He looks at this individual who's the outcast. And I think that we can apply it to our own lives. Whatever you've done to know that God hears you, he sees you, and he loves you. And so when I come to the end of this chapter, my prayer for me and for us is that, that we would say to God, Lord, like help me to live my life according to your plan and according to your way Like, here's my life, but help me to do things your way. Help me not to take shortcuts and try to speed ahead and to, like, try to avoid the pain and the sorrow sometimes that God brings into our life because we need that in order to be refined to be like him. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the story. Lord, I thank you for uh, Sarai and Abraham. This is the great Father Abraham that kids sing about, uh, this great couple uh, that you used to bring the Messiah to us. I thank you, Lord, that in their story and in their history as it's recorded, they are not perfect. I thank you, Lord, that the perfect one in the Bible is you. Father, we thank you how you work with each of us individually and you shape us and mold us and prompt us along as we need prompting. I thank you, Lord, in this story for Hagar, uh, this person who seems so desperate and so hurting and so lonely and so fearful, and yet this is the individual that the story picks up from. 
that you, Lord, saw her, you heard her, and that we can take comfort knowing that whatever worries, fears, concerns that we're going through, that you hear us, you see us, that you're working. And Father, I pray that as we surrender our lives to you, that you would help us to just to trust you, Lord, to not race ahead of you, not to fall behind, but that day by day we would just say, Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, help me to hear your voice and your spirit in leading me uh, for the directions and the decisions that I need to, to make day by day. Father, may we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.